hurriedly stepped back and closed the door when Julie started toward her. Despite the inhospitable gesture, Julie had not been alarmed, taking it for granted that the woman was naturally shy. By midnight, when they moved into the inner room at Kubelik Station and to bed, they had met only one other man. He was a pasty Austrian named Rudy and seemed to be Kubelik's shadow. He rarely spoke, but whenever Kubelik and Rudy shared a look, Julie realized there was some silent communication. She saw other people moving among the shacks, but they did not come near the store. That inner room had been Kubelik's suggestion. She had wanted to return to the boat, hoping that her father could be talked into leaving, but Kubelik laughed at her and waved her objections away with an impatient hand. He would take it as an insult, he said. By all means, they should stay. Entranced by his stories of the coast, her father listened, and they remained. And in the morning, their boat was gone. She had just gotten out of bed when she saw through the small window the empty pier where the catch had been left. Fear gripping her heart, she awakened her father. George Marat's face went pale, and for the first time, he was afraid. They rushed down to the beach, but the catch was nowhere to be seen. Kubelik had come from the house, rubbing his eyes. "'What's the matter? Something wrong?' "'Our boat's gone!' Murad exclaimed. "'Lord, man, what'll we do? What could have happened to it?' "'A wind, maybe,' Kubelek suggested. "'Or some thief. No use standing here. Come in and let's fix breakfast. Then we can take one of my boats and look around.' Yet when her eyes happened to meet those of Kubelek, his had been triumphant. Her father, despite his interest in the gold, was genuinely worried. He knew the mountains were impassable, that the forests were undergrown with thick moss, laden with moisture, and a man could sink to his waist in trying to struggle through. And by the end of the day they realized that the boat was gone, and they knew they would not find it. "'How about taking us to Puerto Montt?' Marat had suggested. "'You have the schooner, and we can't stay here. I have money in the bank back in Santiago.' Take us out and I'll pay your price. All right, Kubelik had said thoughtfully, but you'll have to wait until I'm ready to go for supplies. A week or so, maybe. Yet when the week had passed, he said nothing about leaving. Her father had been placer mining on the beach and caught a severe cold. By that time they had moved to a small shack, refusing to accept more of Kubelik's hospitality. I'm sorry, Julie, George said. When I get well, we'll get out of here and I'll make it up to you. He coughed, the breath rattling deep in his lungs. Get some rest, she said. He nodded and relaxed, breathing more easily. She sat there in the dark, a twenty-six-year-old woman who had failed in life, failed in marriage, who had fled back to her father, a ne'er-do-well adventurer, and ended up here in a narrow fjord at the end of the earth. Her grandfather had been a Chilean who migrated north with his son to fish the waters of British Columbia and Alaska. Her father had spent much of his life in Canada, and she was born there, schooled there, and had been wed there. Like many young girls, Julie had thought that marriage would change her life, and indeed it had, but she discovered that the qualities in a man that had appealed to her when she was being courted were not the qualities that made a good partner for life. Her husband had been a dashing young bohemian who could quote enough Spencer, Marx, or Freud to prove any point. Unfortunately, for all his obsession with the working man, he could not seem to hold a job. 
What she had mistaken for intensity turned out to be self-obsession, and the wild ways that she once thought were delightfully liberated proved to be simple self-indulgence. After six months he had disappeared to prowl the bars and jazz clubs of San Francisco by himself, and she fled back to her father in shame. Julie hid herself away from the world on her father's boat, ashamed because she had not been wise enough to choose the right man and hadn't been strong enough to confront that man about their problems. George Marat had never questioned her, although he had made many a poor choice himself and life had dealt him many a blow. He still met the morning with a smile and fixed his eyes on the horizon. He planned a trip south to show his daughter his homeland, to take her mind off her problems. They would prospect on the southern coast. If they could find a cannery and take on a crew, they would fish the southern waters as he had in Ketchikan and Port Albion. But now they were here in this dismal settlement.